I've thought about that before. How many people would have to know me and my work before I would consider myself having made it? And it's, is it playing rooms for 50,000 people, like arenas? Is it 1,000 people, 200 people? I can make a really great living playing 200-seat theaters for the rest of my life. But I wouldn't be famous or uh, rich probably doing that. Although 500, you can get pretty close. But then it becomes, you know, legacy. How long is your name going to stick around after you die? everybody, welcome to 15 Minutes, a podcast about, despite what I've been arguing lately, that it's about creativity and the need to be seen and a whole bunch of other things, what it really comes down to is a podcast about fame. Episode 68, I'm Jamie Berger. My guest this week is singer, songwriter, guitarist, Zach Trajano. Uh, and I'll talk more about Zach in a minute. And I want to say welcome to the return of 15 minutes to the, after a couple months off, returning for 2019. Uh, we're starting off in, in March with two musical guests. One who is on his way, reluctantly climbing the ladder that was mentioned in our very first episode. And that I'll get to more in a minute. And one whose place is well established in terms of his place and his legacy on the ladder of fame or on which side of the wall. I guess he's in a somewhat of a limbo, a culty limbo in between the two sides. The person I'm referring to is Robin Hitchcock, who will be my guest later in the month. And it'll be interesting to hear the difference between what I learned in my conversation with Zach about Things like legacy that we don't really talk about here on the show that much, surprisingly, uh, as compared to how Robin feels about his place and the legacy that he, I would say, pretty much has set up. He's about 30 years older than Zach. And well, anyway, we'll get to that later. Um, before we dive into the conversation with Zach, I wanted to, because we do have a new a new year, a new season. If the show doesn't really go in seasons, but we did take a couple months off. So I thought I'd start off with a little refresher course in what I'm trying to do here. The other night I wrote late at night, little late night journaling. I wrote this. Back in the 90s, when I worked at the San Francisco Public Library, a lot of self-published authors would give us 30 of their books one for each of the 27 branches of the library, and a couple of extras, you know, because who knows? Who, who knows who might launch their book to stardom? Uh, but often those extras would get thrown in a free box, and that's uh, among the reasons I've ended up with a lot of odd and random books, including a pile of thick, glossy coffee table Dianetics and Scientology books that I sometimes bring out to freak out friends. Um, and then, yes, I've hauled back from San Francisco to the East Coast instead of getting rid of. It's also why I also 
somewhere on my shelves or in a box, still have a copy of the self-published memoir, To the Andes and Back with Herpes. Which sadly, I cannot find on the internet. It never made it to the internet. And give me a second, this is all going to tie back here. I have that copy of To the Andes and Back that I've moved from apartment to apartment and coast to coast and now to our house with. I've probably had it for 20 years. I kept it because, yes, I thought there was something funny about it, but also something poignant and sad and desperate for attention and other stuff, too, that I can't quite figure out. But, and here's how it all ties back to the podcast. But I've never opened it. I'm pretty sure. I can't remember reading a word of it. And I'm pretty sure I never will. And likewise, if there was a herpes podcast, uh, I might be likely to take a look <laughs> and see what the uh, what the little logo looked like. Um, but I really doubt I would click play, let alone subscribe or rate and review on iTunes. Now, I don't think this podcast is anywhere near as off-putting as to the Andes in the back with herpes might be. And by the way, fuck you, Marie Kondo. You don't get to define what I call joy. I kept the book and I'm keeping all the books. But I do think fame is the kind of topic we all know we have thoughts and curiosity about, but mostly from wherever we stand on that ladder of fame, fame is a topic we all have thoughts and curiosity about, but that maybe listening to a podcast about it feels a little bit like not just looking at the cover of To the Andes and Back with Herpes, but actually opening it and reading it. And yet, I persist. And I persist in telling you that I have interesting guests who have interesting things to say on the topic, a topic that we should all be thinking about during the Trump presidency. Because I'll say it one more time. It's the only thing he's ever succeeded at, getting famous. Okay, here's that clip from our very first episode about Ray Bradbury and his experience on the Wall of Fame. Author Michael Joseph Gross begins his book, Starstruck, When a Fan Gets Close to Fame, by recounting a conversation he had with Ray Bradbury, who tells Gross about how, when he was 13, his family moved from Illinois to Hollywood, where Bradbury became an autograph hound. He would hang around outside Paramount Studios with the older, grown-up autograph hounds and hound celebrities for autographs. Bradbury tells Gross, I was standing outside the walls of Paramount Studios when I was 13 years old, and I had a dream that I would jump over the wall and land inside and write a picture. Gross goes on to tell us that 20 years later, the dream had come true. Bradbury had written the script for John Huston's Moby Dick and found himself on the other side of those very same cordons at the premiere, where he spied many of those same collectors he had known as a kid. Bradbury went over to his old friends and asked them if they remembered him, which they did. They proceeded to ask him what he was up to now, and then, Bradbury tells Gross, I got very embarrassed and didn't want to tell them. There was this chasm that had opened up between us, between what we had done together, what they were doing now, and what I was doing now. And I said, 
I worked on the screenplay. And they said, did you type it? Were you in the stenographer's department? And I said, no, I wrote the screenplay. And a strange and magical thing happened. Suddenly, all their hands shot out, and there were half a dozen autograph books in front of me and someone handing me a pen. I had crossed the border. I was not collecting autographs. I was giving my first ones. It made me cry. I had made it over the wall. But none of those other people had made it over the wall. Alrighty. My guest today is Zach Trajano, uh, who I met, I don't know, a little over a decade ago uh, when I first lived in the Pioneer Valley of Massachusetts, and he was in an amazing band called Rusty Bell. They stopped performing several years ago uh, as each of them pursued their solo careers, um, but I think they still imagine getting back together now and then. And I got to know them better as I became a bar owner, and they were the only band who I could always be sure of uh, who came from outside our little town but who would always pack the place to the rafters. Uh, incredibly dedicated cult following. Zach has since put out several solo albums, the most recent of which, Wolf Trees, came out last summer, and then he embarked on a European tour, and then he came back, and we talked about the tour and some other stuff. Uh, the episode also contains three tracks from the album, my three favorites, and it's it's a great sign when an album really, it has three favorites, these are great songs, and one solo guitar track, instrumental track, that was recorded at the 15 Minutes anniversary show last June. Before I play our conversation, let me just read to you what Zach writes about himself in his biography on his website. Zach Trajano is a songwriter and multi-instrumentalist, a fingerstyle guitar player, a fly fisherman, and a beer drinker. He watches more than he talks, the guy at the end of the bar nursing a drink while the afternoon light angles in, letting the conversation pile up and around him like a snowfall. He grew up in New Hampshire, outside of town in a cabin built by his parents. His father, who went on tour with him, was a drummer, who held down a regular country gig, and nights after work, he would loosen his tie and show his son the finer points of Ginger Baker and Elvin Jones. In New Hampshire, they drove around in trucks, and Prine and Dylan cassettes showed up in most of those trucks. Zach made Eagle Scout, got his knots down. Then it was college and out, wandering the country from the desert southwest to the Great Plains until he ran out of money washing windows to work up the bus fare home. After a while, it seemed like he ought to write songs, and he did. Heavy songs with a light touch, an AM radio throwback voice and an intricate finger-style technique framed by a drummer's rhythm and sharpened by years of immersion in the work of players as various as John Fahey, Merle Travis, and Chet Atkins. In over a decade of writing, recording, and performing music professionally, sharing studios and stages with his band Rusty Bell, or supporting touring acts like Chris Smither, Chris Delmhorst, Jeffrey Foucault, and Peter Mulvey, 
Zach Trujano has evolved his own thing, a warm baritone paired with an old Martin guitar floating above spare lines of cello and lap steel, horns and brushes, with a deceptively simple lyricism that on repeated listening shows that the fellow at the end of the bar doesn't say much, but he's worth hearing. So please, let's give a listen to Conversation I Had with Zach Trajano in January of this year. So, hi, Zach. Hi, Jamie. Uh, you're starting out a minute ago before the batteries died. You were starting to tell me about being quiet. Yeah. Being on the radio the other day. Feeling yeah. like you're always too quiet. Yeah, quiet and slow. I tend to be like you could see that pause that just yeah. happened. It took me a while to do interviews and not stress about that because it's just the way that I talk. It's not your problem. Yeah. It's our problem. Right. <laughs> but there, it's it's nice when it's edited yeah. and it just makes me sound like I'm really on top of my shit and my brain's going really fast. Yeah. But I tend to have a slower uh, okay. thought process. That's uh, okay. Yeah, I'm slow I'm, process, resonant voice, I'm, sharp wit. I'm 38 now, man. Yeah. I am. I'm getting more. I just. I'm wearing a leather jacket for the first time. That's how comfortable with myself. Yeah. I've become. Do you yeah. think leather is that a big? That was a huge step. Yeah. Yeah, uh, my girlfriend Molly, her her dad gave it to me, and I was like, oh, I can't. I've never been able to pull off a leather jacket. What do you associate it with? I think growing up, I, it was like people trying to be way too cool for their own good most of the time, but now I think I'm finally, thankfully, way beyond being cool. Like mm-hmm. I'm, I'm on the age wise, I'm on the other side of yeah. of that. Yeah. So it's I, it's like fuck it, I can yeah. I can pull off leather. Oh yeah, I won't do that. <laughs> I can. So yeah. I, I'm wearing a brown yeah. leather bomber jacket, and it's like it's great man excellent i feel like there's a song on the album that kind of deals with that <laughs> kind of growing into comfort but i can't think of which one it is uh there are a few things i want to talk about sure yeah. out now uh your trip to germany having put out at least an album toured and now you're back and starting you know back to work and and the process and how it feels and of course in terms of my little subject of the attention um, because when I when I talked to you about the podcast initially and about fame, you know, we were we were drinking at the bar that night, but you were like, my whole new album's about fame. So maybe, Yeah, you could have said anything yeah, after I would have said that. Right, yeah, yeah. So maybe <laughs> no. I've been listening to it again and I can think of a couple songs that I definitely think touch on the subject, but why do you think you said that or what you've been thinking about? Oh. Uh, well, one of the one of the themes, I guess, I mean, it's a little bit abstract, more or less, but um, specifically, I've just been really thinking about how much work I have to do um, in that arena, like the, the self-publicity and the um, for just doing this job. Um, and... It seems like everybody is doing that all the time now just for their lives. Yeah. I read an interview where you talked about that. Yeah. So it's, that's pretty interesting to me why, you know, it's just being a 
interested in human nature, why people are doing that so much. Yeah. Um, yeah. You were talking about you, and I suppose me too, <clears throat> growing up on, on either side of that divide where uh, now everyone is obsessed with it. Yeah. You're 38, I'm 54. That it was always an obsession of, of America, but now... Yeah, well, part of it was that we just didn't... I mean, we didn't have the option to do these things. We didn't have the arenas to <laughs> say, tell everybody what we had for breakfast or whatever it is. Yeah. Um, we probably would have, I'm sure that, you know. Yeah. Um, yeah. You wrote about not wanting to know what Robert Plant, had, you wouldn't have wanted to know. We're taking some of the magic away. No, oh, what Robert what Plant. Had for yeah, breakfast. in interviews, yeah. you said, yeah. <laughs> oh, look, Robert Plant's eating Cheerios today, you said. Yeah. Yeah, well, the mystery, right? Yeah. That's, I mean, if Rockstar is all about mystery, yeah, that's half the yeah. the magic of it. So that's, yeah, that's a good point. You know, that's in the music business specifically. Mystery is out the window yeah. now. Every, I mean, I'm I'm supposed to publish something at least daily. Yeah, publish or post or whatever, yeah. um, which I go through. God, I can do it for like couple months, three months, and then I just can't, yeah. I don't have anything to yeah. say. Or you hire someone to do it. Right. You know, and that's, that's a whole career now. You know, my friend, yeah. friend of mine who's a fairly public figure, uh, she tweets all the time and I'm like, that's not Annie. I actually mentioned it to her and she now, yeah, the word's overused a lot lately, but she now curates the Twitter a little more. For a while, she just had a publicist doing it, it seemed to me. And it didn't feel personal enough. I mentioned it. That's the so problem, she, right? Yeah. She gets involved yeah, more, it seems now. Um, and it feels like her voice. So, Yeah, somehow you have to have somebody that yeah. can make it sound like yeah. you. I mean, mostly my issue is just, con like, what can you possibly say? Every day, I don't know what to say about well, what's starting going tomorrow. On, okay, yeah. you're hiring me. Is that what you're saying? So tomorrow, <laughs> yeah, yeah. so tomorrow, <laughs> selfie with the bomber jacket. Right, right, uh, yeah. Okay, and that'll cover and on, on, that'll cover a couple different, all three social media with that: Facebook, Insta. There we go. Twitter. Yeah, yeah. And later in the afternoon, maybe you with a friend with the jacket. Right. Maybe if, if Foucault has a similar jacket, you two could get. Oh uh, yeah. Do do a quick shoot. Yeah, but I just can't. Well, why would I, I do it? No, I don't want you to do it. I'm just <laughs> kidding. No, it's, it's brutal. What's so? Why did I just? <clears throat> why would anyone want to look at that? That's what I can't get my head around. Right. Is, I mean, mostly if you look at my Instagram, I haven't posted in a couple months probably, because after I did the release and the tour, I was yeah. every day and. And it was great um, when you were recording songs almost every day. That's actual. That's what I was you know, trying to do. The word content yeah. is so right. Uh, makes you kind of ill these days. But it was content. Yeah. It was this beautiful little piece of music every day for right. Or the pictures that you and Anya took. Right. From the album. See that stuff. I can, I could post because. Yeah. And now it's winter, and I'm kind of like, holed up at home and practicing and working out different things, yeah. and. I'm really private with that stuff. Yeah. Like if it's not, if I'm working on something, even if there's somebody in the house, yeah. you know, even if Molly or something is in the house, I get shy about what I'm working on. Cause it's my, it's 
mine. Yeah. That's what I really like to do. So posting something that I'm working on on a social platform is I just can't do it. Yeah, it's I, I really feel like with 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 artists, a lot of artists, especially people, you know, of your temperament. Somebody just has to grab onto you at some point if you're going to if you yeah. want to have that, you know, it's like right. think about someone like who's even more reclusive, like in our in our area, like Ray LaMontagne. You know, right. somehow he became I don't know his work or him very well. I just know he he's made a good living at it, it seems, somehow. Yeah. <laughs> and and how does that quite happen to a solo artist who doesn't tour that much at all? Hardly? I don't know. Yeah, I think he used to maybe, yeah. but um are just re- seemingly very reclusive people, but yeah, today you can't be if you want to make your living at it. Almost, I, I guess not. Yeah, yeah. There's some way through. I mean, I still participate in it, but yeah, you do. Um, it's probably been close to two months since I've posted anything, and or really looked at much, you know, and just really not supposed to do that because it makes it, I guess, <sighs> seem like I'm not doing anything or well. Which is fine. What's you're, wrong with not yeah, doing you're anything? You're supposed to do <laughs> as much as you want to do. It's like if you want to have a certain kind of success. But, right. you know, the thing that I, I talk to people about, about, sure, you want to make perhaps more of a living from the music, but do you want more attention than you get? Because that's, it's really, I talked to people recently about this. is a right. podcast about people who make things and why we want people to see the things we make and how many is too many and how many is enough and why it's a part of making art at all or you know or is it okay just to you know make it in your basement it's such an interesting topic because you think about (laughs) fame or say you know in quotes making it as Mm -hmm. an artist or a musician or something um how many people I've thought about that before. How many people would have to know me and my work before I would consider myself having made it? Mm-hmm. And it's, is it playing rooms for 50,000 people, like arenas? Is it 1,000 people, 200 people? I can make a really great living playing 200-seat theaters for the rest of my life. See, that and, I feel like is the most I would ever want to do if I went around talking yeah. to people on a stage. Two to 500. Yeah, it's it's kind of a yeah. magic size. But I wouldn't be famous or uh, rich probably doing that. Although 500, you can get pretty close, I mm-hmm. think. Um, but then it becomes, you know, legacy. How long is your name going to stick around after you die? If only, say, this many people know you in the Northeast yeah, or in Massachusetts. Yeah, that's something I've talked to very yeah. few people about. It's really an interesting, because what are your motivations for for having a lot of people know who you are in the first place? Yeah. And I think that's kind of, for most people, whether it's a conscious thought or not, it has to do with um, some sort of something sticking around mm-hmm. about you, you know, given the fact that you're going to be dead at some point. And, uh, if you're <coughs> Bob Dylan or John Lennon, mm-hmm. then there's something about you that remains. Um, 
So what are your answers for you to those questions? About that. Of how much would be enough now? Oh, I just, Legacy. I'm just asking the question. Yeah, I yeah, need to yeah. answer them, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's my job to, to push you on these. <laughs> um, I don't have solid answers. I think that it changes, you know, the more ethereal <laughs> questions about, like, legacy or... That one, for me these days, is pretty out the window because... Put in perspective, think about Mozart or Beethoven or something. It's been a couple hundred years, and those guys were the the genius of geniuses. Mm-hmm. Um, and what's a couple hundred years? I mean, that's that's pretty darn good for art. Mm-hmm. So, in another thousand, mm-hmm. you know, if we're all still here, yeah. what's so? I mean, as soon as you kind of zoom out it's enough. A big, yeah. Right. It's, yeah. Of course. Yeah. yeah. I mean, yeah, it all. These days. Yeah. You know. 50 years. So you zoom out <laughs> yeah. far enough and it's all kind of like, well, you know, legacy is a very, very small, no matter yeah. how you look at it, yeah. you know. Um, so that one, I'm, you know, I don't know. That's That doesn't seem to be very important. I, I'm more thinking like, <laughs> it's funny, really, these days when I think of what would be enough Definitely money's involved because mm-hmm. I would love to have a really safe and nice lifestyle. Um, but some of it has to do with taking on this, the business, like the music business, which I just think is such a mess um, because I love making music mm-hmm. so much that it's such a drag that the business is really it's i mean it's terrible so somehow defeating that or <laughs> getting through it in a way where i become some version of successful mm-hmm. is like would be uh some sort of triumph for me does that make sense it's like not, it does it does you know? but it's still amorphous what it would be i mean because just for me the legacy thing just i have my own little issues with wanting attention and and, and ego and having you know, only pursued things to a certain point and then stopped, but I don't really know why. Yeah. Uh, because I want more attention than I've gotten in my life. It's, I, it's just, I think it's disingenuous of a whole lot of people not to say that. And last time I was recently talking to um, Sonny Smith, uh, Sonny in the Sunsets. It's weird because I know these New England people who are famous regionally. You were talking mm-hmm. about regional. Right. And uh, I know San Francisco people who are known regionally and culty. You know, they could go to Europe and have people know them, or they could be in the the Bay Area and have people know them. And people who are like in Dieselhead, the band. Because I think of Dieselhead as kind of a West Coast rusty yeah, band. Yeah, I don't this know. This band that were m- super popular live, but the records didn't hit the way their live shows did. Kind of what like Rusty's, mm-hmm. and which is Zach's previous band. Uh, and I want to talk about that being. <laughs> the least visible person on stage of anyone in any band I've ever known because of the two big personalities who were in front of you in that band. But we'll get to that in a little bit. But I've never cared about legacy at all. I never think about, like, my writer heroes because writer was always the fantasy even though I've never had the temperament to really do it, which I'm realizing now in my 50s. But I never thought of myself like I wanted to be. I just wanted to write something good that some people who I respected, who I didn't know, liked 
<laughs> you know, and, I, right. and having those few moments of that. And I think of the favorite albums that were one album bands. Like yeah. If I could have made that one album. That would be I enough. Think yeah. be, I think it probably wouldn't be. Right. But it, it would, I would always have that. And that yeah. would feel good. And maybe Will. Maybe I should say Will. But I won't make the album because I don't think I, I think the, the music <laughs> career is long. It's never going to happen. Um, but so how about on a, on, a, on a micro level? Your album came out in November? Uh, a little bit earlier, yeah. but yeah. Okay. So the album came out. The, how about the level of attention and how it felt touring with it and how it feels now that you're moving on to the next thing? How does that feel? It feels good, first of all. Good. Because uh, for me, I thought the work was really good. That stuff is sort of like, it's like the... Uh, those are the basics, nuts and bolts the of feeling. The record felt good. To as an yeah, artist, yeah. yeah, it's like, okay, cool, I did my job, yeah. the, the, the stuff's good. And all the other business, you know, are people going to like it? And there's really not much you can do. But I hired, uh, I worked with a publicist for the first time <clears throat> on this one. Um, we'd done that in Rusty Bell mm -hmm. before, but I'd never done it uh, as a solo artist. Uh, and had a great experience with them. And, and when I played down there on the tour, I went through New York, and they all came out to the show. That's huge, because yeah. I know so many people won't play in New York anymore I, outside the city because of how clubs are like... It you know, sucks. Because the industry is so struggling. And getting, you know, the venues, I don't, you know, I don't blame them necessarily. They're like, no, we can't, you know, if you don't get this many people... No, we can't do this for you. No, we can't right. do that. And they're exhausted. It just sounds like, or they're right. assholes. But well, but, and they have a bottom line too that right. they have to. But so you had New York shows kind of set up to succeed. No, well, no, because there weren't very many people at no. the show. <laughs> I think the the publicity company made uh -huh. up like half the audience. You know. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I don't think I probably won't be going back to New York for a little bit. No. But there's a nice video me. from the the winery show. Where's, oh yeah. Yeah. Yep. Uh, that was that same session trip. Yeah. yeah, that was good. Um, but yeah, so they all came out and they were talking about the record and we were, you know, out having a smoke or something and um, we were talking about the different songs and somebody said something like, uh, oh yeah, like, I don't know the names of them. And I was like, how do you not know the names? And she said, well, you said in the thing that you really wanted it to be listened to as a full album. So whenever we listen to it in the place, we just listen straight through. Ah. So I just don't like it's it's Wolf oh. Trees as an album. So yeah. I just don't know the song names that well. I was like, that's cool. Yeah. These guys, at, at, at least, even if they didn't give me any press, they were into the music and they listened to it and they yeah. really liked it. So yeah. Um, that felt good yeah. with working with them. And they got me some good stuff, you know? Like, I got into the <laughs> Boston Globe, I think. And, mm -hmm. uh, just a bunch of, like, way... They definitely kicked my public profile up mm -hmm. a notch, which mm -hmm. is sort of what I think is what you want, is every release or everything, you kind of yeah. go up. And was this your third solo? Yeah, the third one with lyrics. I put out a little instrumental. Oh as well that yeah, was just I, that, I love you oh thanks yeah just to, like you know that i give to yeah. friends or whatever so this is really yeah the third yeah. full one um but yeah it went really well i went up and down the east coast and um 
did 10 or 12, like, you know, release shows. Mm -hmm. uh, and then went over to Europe and did the, the German, Germany and Belgium yeah. and Switzerland tour. I had a blast. I mean, yeah, how, how, was the, how was the tour? The, was it like, is that your first European tour? Yeah, on my own. Yeah. yeah. Yep. Um, I've been over with the rest a of couple Belgium. times. No, with, uh, I was backing up Chris Smither on one, uh, Jeff Focalt. Are you opening? You told me about that. Yeah. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, it was me. I took my dad. He mm -hmm. was like my road manager mm -hmm. and he sold merch. <laughs> uh, he did great. He had a blast too. And yeah, it was awesome. It was like, you did know, you have any openers for those shows or people, local people or not really? They were just not like we would do here. No, they were, it's just different there. Like people, I think there's a certain infatuation with just American mm -hmm. music. So if it, that brings a certain amount of people out, but also people will just go hear music that they don't know mm -hmm. because it's Friday night and they want to go listen so to you music. Had, you had bigger audiences of people who didn't know you than you ever would have. Yeah. Cause nobody knew me. So everybody, everybody there, it was like first time listening to me uh -huh. really. So it was really cool in that way. And there's people. Yeah. So that's when you're putting on shows, as long as there's people there who are attentive in some way, you know, the rest is up to you. And, yeah. But that's, those are the conditions yeah. <laughs> to have a nice, yeah, nice time, you know? So it was great. You know, and all the travel was amazing. And, yeah. you know, we had all this, a million totally weird experiences over there. But, uh... You got a, you got a story? Oh, man. The best one is we were in, uh, Geneva. Mm -hmm. And so you got, so it's my dad and me. There's just two of us. And we got a couple of guitars and, like, a couple of little rolly suitcases with merchandise and pedals and whatever. And I'm supposed to play at this radio station in Geneva. Um, and we're running late. We pull in and, and we're just like, you know, got the rolly things and, you know, put on our flannel coats. We're just like a couple of New Hampshire guys, mm -hmm. you know. <laughs> no and, leather yet. No leather. No, I haven't gotten the leather <laughs> next time, though. Uh, and, and we, you know, like go and this venue, it's not, you know, we've been playing mostly like, clubs and cafes and uh, house shows, you know, art spaces, things mm -hmm. like that. And this was like this huge ornate building with like just blasting metal <laughs> coming out of it. Music, metal music. And I just look at dad and say, all right, let's, I don't know wh where I'm going to play in this scene. So, and, you know, we walk in and it's this huge place with, you know, sort of goth, like metalheads everywhere. Like, yeah. You, you know. mean in like a theater lobby kind of the goth metalheads? Was it like a theater? No, no, no. It's like, like, like a, like metal band. Right. But what were they? There's a huge what stage. Kind of building it? So it was like a venue, a huge stage like with like club. lights and smoke right. and all. <laughs> right. And, and you were on that same bill. And well, I was, I looked at dad and I'm like, you know, <laughs> this is going to be interesting because yeah. it's just me and an acoustic guitar, yeah. you know? It's like, shit, I should have 
brought my yeah. like face paint or something. I don't know. Um, or your, 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 what's that guitar called? Flaming Arrow? Oh, the Flying V? Flying V. Yeah. <laughs> um, so anyway, what it was is it, it was kind of, it has a big space, but it was attached uh-huh. to this little radio station on the side. So we found that mm-hmm. and, but it's still this circus of like, you know, piercings and black leather and long greasy hair. And I'm, I think you, you grow a pretty large tolerance when you travel a lot for just completely odd situations. Mm-hmm. Um, you just end up in them all the time. Every gig is weird in its own way. So I don't, I'm not really thinking about it. I'm just trying to yeah. get my shit together and find, you know, where to go. And I look over at, at dad and he's just standing there with like, you know, sweating with these wide eyes because he's never seen anything even remotely like this yeah. before. And I realize that he's just like this. And for background, he doesn't leave New Hampshire much. No, I mean, he's, you know, he's not in like States, a shut in or anything, yeah. but yeah, but he's, you know, grew up in New Hampshire and, uh, Travels, you know, he's traveled, okay. but but not like right. he's never been on the road. Never been a rodeo, yeah, merch guy, <laughs> right? Okay, so he's standing there. I was like, oh shit, I gotta gotta go make sure Dad's not like gonna have a heart attack or something. Yeah. And so he's he's been cool, and you know, he helps me set up. And so I'm supposed to play this set. It's some little festival going on or something, and the met- whole metal scene is just like next door. Yeah. Uh, so I set up. And this guy comes up to me, and he looks like a total rock star, long hair, uh, probably, I don't know, in his 50s or something. And he said, hey, do you mind if we do a little thing before you play your set? And I said, well, well what is it, you know? And he's like, well, uh, I think it was their bass player had passed away like 15 years ago. And it was the anniversary of their death, of his death. And this was where they got one of their first big breaks and there's some, they were like this big... Was it like scorpions? <laughs> right, but it was something like that, you know? I hadn't heard of them. Oh, shoot. But yeah. it was this total... Yeah. Yeah. Did you ever to... get their name? Uh, yeah, I'll think of it. Okay, cool, it's, cool. Uh, something, I'll think of it. All right. um, so they wanted to do this memorial for this guy, uh, like a rock and roll memorial mm-hmm. before... I go on with mm-hmm. my little... Was this like a live, live radio or something? They it was to a do radio it on station. The radio? No, no, no. It was a private okay. thing. Um, and so I said, yeah, I guess so. So I like put down the guitar and he gets up and talks about this. You know, and it's not... It's not, it's not funny because it's a memorial thing, but it's also... It was so funny because it was like, you know, straight out of Spinal Tap or mm-hmm. something. It was mm-hmm. this circle of like goth metal rockers doing this memorial service for the dead bass player and then right on the side it's like me and my dad with beards and flannel want a photo like with our (laughs) arms crossed being like what see that's why you got that's why dad's got to be taken see there's social media right there you (laughs) next to that oh it was so great man they played like it was exactly so they set up and played no, they they played like, uh, oh, like recordings, and then they talked about it. But the recording is exactly what you'd think it'd be. It was yeah. kind of this like over the top metal string arrangement, yeah. and everybody's like rocking out, bobbing their heads, and telling these stories yeah. about like drugs and the guy. I was so wild and great, you know. And I'm looking at Dad, being like, 
this is the craziest shit I've seen probably traveling around. Yeah. You must be freaking out. And yeah. now I have to play my little folky set yeah. for all these people after this metal memorial service, you know? So it was like awesome. I, I wrote the booking agent after him. It was like, we're definitely coming back yeah. to this place because so it's the weirdest. After they did their thing, did they all leave? Some of them stuck around. They stuck around like second, and you played you a little set for yeah, these guys. Yeah, yeah. That's you know? great. Well, it's cool. It's like that would have, five years ago, that would have scared the shit out of me mm-hmm. to like go play acoustic guitar for that crowd. Mm-hmm. But just because I've been doing it so much and I'm a little bit older um, and I've got enough shows under my belt, I know what I do. Actually, it's not just believing in it, but it's act, like I, I feel solid mm-hmm. in my ability and my skills and my songs so it doesn't matter who it is that the you know sure put me on right after a heavy metal sure. funeral and i'm um, i'll just yeah play my yeah play what's my stuff we, you know you reach yeah. out what's the worst that can happen yeah stage? yeah i was like yeah dig it you yeah. know and, and they they were into it so it ended up being a really odd and cool show which dad sold a couple cds yeah I kept looking at him, like I'd be in mid-song, and I'd look yeah. over at him, and he'd be like talking to some dude in a big trench coat with piercings and yeah. giving him you a know, record. Yeah, yeah, he can handle himself, right? Oh, yeah. That's great. <laughs> I don't know if I'll take it off the record, but can you tell me about uh, intro, Kids Got Heart? What do you want know. to know about it? Uh, <laughs> just, just it, it's a little bit, it feels a little bit more of like a narrative than, than other songs, perhaps. The way that I wrote the album was... I was really thinking of it as a, a single kind of wasn't just pulling songs together mm-hmm. from all over the place. So apologies that I'm doing. Uh, <laughs> oh no, no, no. But I was just thinking yeah. of how, how that song came around and um I kinda had this little little bits of it and knew like this is gonna be the first song on the record because it's sort of like an to me it was a, an intro to the, the vibe of the thing and um, there's something about that little, it's not really a complete story in that song or mm. anything, but it's the little, little bits of story that created sort of what I wanted to say in the rest of the album. Cause some of it's about aging and mm-hmm. yeah, still feeling like you got something to say or, you know, I think there's such a, I fight, I was definitely thinking about fighting the <laughs> I think the more knowledge you get sometimes as you get older, you know, if you're taking in all this knowledge, you can get more cynical and more bitter and all these things. At least I can find that in myself because I could see what's going to go wrong with all these situations that when I was younger I didn't really know any better, so that I just would, was having more fun, you know. Um, so finding a way to balance that with taking the good parts of getting older, mm-hmm. I guess, <laughs> which is that hopefully you're smarter and better at life overall, you know. Yeah. Um, yeah, it was like it's 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 that kind of. I mean, all those things are in there somewhere. Yeah. And there's something about that sentiment that really i mean that's kind of the record yeah. you know it's like it talks little bits about you know life today and yeah. society a little bit I, but mostly it's it's about 
that, yeah. which is basically me in this yeah. point in life. This kid's got heart, but he's out on his feet. All the heads keep talking out in the street. Do you? You should have seen him in his prime. He had something left inside. That's a song they sing. The rivers run, the wheels that spin, the poets take it on the chin for the bells that ring through Come on, hit the dial on the radio. We ain't 19. Yeah, the fire ain't dead if the cold still
everyone knows you, the title kind of, and the first and the sound of it and the feel of it make me think of something like a, a like a movie scenario of something like a star is born where oh, yeah. the girlfriend <laughs> goes off to the big city and gets famous, but you don't, it isn't, it isn't that kind of song. It's not about it really about us. It's not a narrative. No, no, no. but no, that's boring. the way it feels to me. And then you talk about plastic fluff. Yeah. 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 Well, it's kind of, uh, it's more of a song with just, it's got a bunch of images that make you think, of what you're going to take, you know, yeah. that's a, People, you can write in a narrative form or you can write sort of more yeah. poetic. With, yeah, imagistic. Um, yeah, imagistic. Yeah. That's a great. Yeah. Uh, so it's it's one of those songs. and um, Yeah, I don't... When I wrote it, it was half and half between uh, writing about, like, basically Donald Trump and being a phony and all that because that was very much in my head um you know like everybody knows you like mm -hmm. now everybody knows how, <laughs> how full of shit you are yeah. so it's kind of in that way and then i i wrote a couple lines and there was a different there was like a, a subtext of oh everybody's kind of in that situation now
Everyone Knows You made me think that I would like to hear you. It reminded, I like also, there's a very poppy feel to that song. And that it made me want to hear you cover Wichita Lineman. Oh, really? Because there's a little bit of my childhood Glenn Campbell kind of yeah, sweetness man. to it. That, <laughs> that if you ever... All right, I'll keep... Maybe on my birthday one year, if you have a gig... <laughs> Unless you know it by heart already. No, I'll do that for you. So, yeah, that song is one of my three, my three faves. Uh, What'd you say? You said Kids Got Heart, 99 Ways. And Everyone Knows You. 99 Ways kind of is fun to me because it's uh, what I like because I, you know, I tend to like not be that attached to your, to the world of kind of bluesy, folky stuff because I'm kind of allergic to earnestness. I like irony and sarcasm and pop culture. 99 Ways kind of echoes of 99 Problems. Yeah. And you mentioned Kanye and you mentioned something else and you have the best line in the whole album, which is, (laughs) I can make you try to guess. It starts with my. My my hips don't lie. (laughs) Next line. But the truth ain't pretty. <laughs> Hips don't lie, but the truth ain't pretty. It's yeah. a beautiful reference. I love it. I love it uh, so much. Yeah, there's a lot of pop culture yeah. stuff in that yeah. song. Yeah, and that's what that's what kind of, in, you know, cynical ex-punk rocker, that's yeah. what I want in my folk, you know, in my folky, bluesy music. Well, uh, me too. Yeah. And I'm getting better at letting that stuff yeah. come through. Because that's what, as earnest as I can be sometimes on, on that spectrum in the, you know, the folky world, I'm nowhere near. Yeah. This. So, and yeah. so it, it can really get to me too, that yeah. just over, uh, yeah, that it's earnest is the best word. It's like very serious, very, uh, like explicit right. about. Yeah. And I love earnestness, but it's gotta be earned with a little, a little bitterness somewhere in there or something right. for me. And and you do that. And some of my other favorite acoustic people do. I can't mean chilling. Well, right. People like that. It's not just, I don't know. If you think of a song, like everything is free, it's got humor in it and it's got irony in it. It's got you know, a little, little, little more grit. It's kind of off topic, but kind of not. 
I'm trying to think what song it is. I'm coaching a middle school basketball team. All right. And it's weird. The artists that survive and that and that don't like talk about legacy. Like all the kids today, by which I mean anyone under <laughs> 35, know or love or hate, but mostly love Journey, which makes no sense to me at all. Really? Bad band. Bad band. I understand there's some catchy songs, and I even yeah. like Don't Stop Believing Once Every right. Five Years. Right. But, like, why did Journey survive? And Ario Speedwagon are mostly forgotten. Right. They suck, too. But, and, but... I was driving the kids to our game because I also drive the bus and they're playing hip hop and stuff. And then they put on Take Me Home Country Road by John Denver, which they all sing verbatim. The whole team knows all of Country Road. The whole basketball team is singing. Seventh graders. John Denver. Country Road. And afterwards, they're like, how do you guys know that? And they just said, everybody knows that. Is it on the way to the game or home from the to. game? To. To the game. No, it wasn't demoralized, sad. <laughs> we are losing a lot of games. <laughs> I could see that, too. But I was like, how do they know this song? So, you never know what's going to. Wow. That's that's John Denver's legacy. <laughs> what else did I want to that, that image is going to be in yeah. my head for the rest of the day. Yeah. You and a bunch of. Oh, and they're saying, it just broke my heart. I loved it. <laughs> so I moved to the Valley, you know, and I ended up a couple of years in being a bar owner. I ended up booking in, in our tiny little town of Turner's Falls. It was hard even to book bands from half an hour away from the two big college towns, Northampton and Amherst. Bands who were really big there because nobody would come to this town, Turner's Falls. Now it's gotten a little more popular. But there was one band that I booked as much as I could, and they would always fill the place to the doors, and I would see Rusty Bell. You, you were part of a cult, huge cult band in, in your area. Yeah. And I want to know, A, how was that? And, and I know you guys almost, you know, it could have gone either way at some point. You know, it could have become the thing you were still doing right now, right? Right. Um, uh, and and how, the, you know, how that worked out, but also how it felt. And also how it felt being the, the third or fourth, originally four, when I think of you as a band of four, now I look at the press and you know, the, the, right. the website, and Jaser's kind of been purged from the historical documents yes. for reasons we won't go into, but, <laughs> but three much more charismatic front people than you. And you were in the back. You right. were the guitar guy in the back, and now you're a front person and you're yeah. a solo person. So just yeah. thoughts about that experience and, and being a, a Valley star. Yeah. Well, I mean, we weren't, I don't know if we you were stars, but in, in a certain collegiate and post-collegiate world yeah. in this little, you know, yeah, we were definitely well known. Yeah. I remember the first and time loved the people yeah. go nuts at shows. I remember yeah. walking into the black sheep mm-hmm. deli once that was like, the first time I felt, you know, famous or whatever. <laughs> uh, and I walked in and somebody bought me a sandwich. Like, from, not somebody in there, but somebody that worked there because I was in the band. And they were like, like, said, Rusty Bell, I'm on the house for this guy, you know, or something like that. And I said, wow, that's crazy. That I'm just going to get a free sandwich at the deli. And that's still probably the most famous I ever felt <laughs> was getting that. Um, yeah, well, it's, it's a, 
So the trajectory, uh, my personal trajectory is I started out playing drums. Yeah, because your dad's a drummer. Yeah. So in high school and then, the, you know, I went to college for music. So I was playing a little of everything. But I really started to make the transition into wanting to write um, melodically and harmonically and play guitar and all that stuff uh, about junior, senior year of college. Mm -hmm. Um, so were you, were you were you guys on college together? No, none of us were. Or well, Jazer and I were. It just feel where? Skidmore. At Skidmore, I'm, sure. I don't yeah. know. I'm from Albany, so. Oh. yeah, it just um, feels like you two, you guys all were because you had such a following of people. Yeah, at UMass and, and Hampshire, Hampshire and all that. Yeah. yeah. Um. <coughs> so, yeah, I think well, Matt went to Hampshire. Kate went to Wheaton, I think. Okay. Um. <laughs> She's gonna be pissed if she hears that because I always forget. But I'm pretty sure it's Wheaton. Uh, yeah. And so anyway, I started when that band started because we all lived in the house together. Um, that it just mostly the three of them playing around the house, and then I think they maybe did a show or a couple shows or something, and we we're out at this open mic and. I sat in just playing weird percussion instruments. Mm -hmm. um, and I wasn't interested in being in a band because I had been in a band with Jazer prior to that, which had broken up. And I was kind of like, I was just, you know, it's like being in a relationship. It's like, <laughs> I don't want to, you know, I need a break from doing this whole thing. So, uh, but when I sat in, it felt good. Like it kind of, it seemed to click really well. Um, so when we started, I was playing drums, but I really was interested in playing guitar. Uh, and so I started sort of flip-flopping. Mm -hmm. Some tunes I'd play drums on, and then some tunes I'd play guitar. And we were doing a lot of rotating on instruments. And that just kind of got to be a drag for the shows because there was a lot of moving around. Um, and so then when Jazer split, um, there was three of us. We sort of got the idea that we would all play drums and divide it between the three of us yeah. so that Matt and I could play guitar. And that's when I felt like it really gelled into a cool, it was a, it was just a good focused sound of, you know. Um, yeah, so I, I sort of just kept, and then I, because I was doing that more and more, I was writing more songs because uh, I had written songs like for Kate to sing prior to that, but it's writing more songs for me to sing. Um, and so I started singing a little bit more, but yeah, when you're in a band, it's basically whoever's singing is the, is out front. Yeah. That's just, that's how it is. Unless you're one of very few strings. Right. Yeah. Um, Cause that's really draws the most uh, vocals, draw the most attention, I think. Mm -hmm. Um, so yeah, so I was always, uh, and just my general dynamic as, as a quieter human being. Um, <laughs> yes, you're, they're both uh, very big. Yeah. Well, you especially Matt. The episode <laughs> Matt that I did yeah. two years ago. Um, so I was kind of always a straight man, you yeah. know, I'd set Matt up for yeah. jokes and, you know, um, which worked really well, yeah. but I, I, at initially, I really 
loved being the drummer and rhythm guitar player and lead guitar player. And I'd be sort of like the Ringo where I'd sing like a couple tunes, um, you know, in a show or something. And people would be like, oh, my God. You know, it would always be this like. Mm-hmm. And because <laughs> to them, it's like, oh, look, he's doing something mm-hmm. that like he doesn't usually do when secretly like I'm singing all the time. Mm-hmm. It's just as I'm sure Ringo was. Right. Um, so, <laughs> but there were so many shows where we'd go like set break. We go out for like, I go out for a smoke or something mm-hmm. and someone would come up to me and be like, Hey, these guys are really good. Huh? Yeah. You yeah. told me that. Yeah. I think that probably happened at, uh, at the all the time. Yeah, yeah. All the time. <laughs> because I, you know, I was, you're, yeah, you're, you're incognito back there. Yep. And, I, what would you say? I would just say, oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Because I really, I love that. Like, at that point in my life, it was, I think that it was probably a 90-10 split in my, you know, my feelings or something that, you know, 10% thought, oh, it's kind of a drag that nobody knows I'm in the band. But what I get out of it is that I just get to be a wallflower and I don't have to deal with any of the stuff, which is like sort of my natural state anyways. Uh, So it it was nice, you know, that. And then as I started progressing into writing more and, you know, using my voice more, you know, towards the last few years, um, that didn't happen anymore because I was singing more. We were singing more harmonies together. Um, I was playing, you know, more guitar solos. Mm -hmm. People really like guitar solos. Mm -hmm. So, no, you know, then it was, and the way also, you know, there's all these like weird little practical things. The way that we actually set up, I wasn't in the back anymore. We set up kind of more linearly side side, yeah. so that people could actually see me, which obviously makes people know that I'm there. Uh, so it ended up, you know, but still, uh, I think most people would, you say Rusty Bell, they would say like Matt and Kate. Yeah. And then I'm like the afterthought. Yeah. I was one of those people. I, yeah. yeah. Um, which that's okay, you know, but it was never accurate for me in the, the way that oh, yeah. the music yeah. happened because it was, you know, I wrote a lot of the tunes and yeah. <laughs> like worked with yeah. every, you know, it's like I was, so it was very much like a stage kind of thing. And also, you know, Matt and Kate have a a huge part of that band was the brother-sister harmony mm-hmm. thing that you just can't get anywhere else. Mm-hmm. And so... And their rapport. Yeah, their, well, their yeah, you know, their interaction with each other, yeah. So, yeah, I was definitely, you know, got used to that for years and then sort of... Good banter. And you was the straight guy. Yeah, it, it worked. Um, but yeah, as I started writing and then I started, like Matt started doing the suitcase junket stuff. Mm-hmm. like Which is a uh, solo, almost one man band. He has a, you know, yeah. sits at a drum kit, he plays guitar, he, he throat sings. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, basically the stuff that he brought to Rusty Bell, right. he just took to the next level and added the throat singing yeah. to it, which is amazing, but it's, yeah, it's a, it's a whirlwind what he does. And um, you were starting to say something. Oh yeah. But he I started, he started things. doing that. Uh, you know, while we were still in rusty bell, like a, for 
years, for a couple of years, he was really started splitting gigs mm-hmm. between the junket. Um, and then Kate, I think she went back to school at some point to yeah. get her teacher degree while we were still doing stuff. And I wasn't, I know, like, I was sort of had my head up my ass about that, that everybody was, had like another, like a side thing going on. Mm-hmm. Cause I was just like in, you know, in Rusty Bell doing that thing. And it occurred to me at some point, like, shit, I better <laughs> get my own thing going on yeah. here. I wonder if I like being a solo musician because I never done that. Like some people, most people I know that are solo performers, that's what they started doing. That's what they like doing. And there's some people that have come from bands, but Mm -hmm. very few people I know that started out as a, as a drummer in bands (laughs) that is now. (laughs) So it was totally different idea for me to just be the only guy on stage singing songs. Um, so I just started doing that. I made like my first record and did a few shows here and there and started to figure out how to do it. And I remember doing like, there's there's this little bar in my hometown in Kentucky, New Hampshire, and, you know, pay you 50 bucks to like go down on Thursday. And there's like, I mean, it's the same like six or seven guys there every day. Um, and you set up next to like the big Buck Hunter video game and mm-hmm. like sing. Yeah. And I and I was like, this this would be a great place for me to like <laughs> try go. it out. Yeah. And I was I just remember being so nervous to go do that. Um, you know, a couple of my friends came down or whatever, and like, God, how am I gonna fill like two hours? I don't like what am I gonna play for two hours? You know. And I was thinking that, and that was only, you know, five years ago, yeah. six years ago, something. And now it's like, it's, it's totally different now. It's, I'm so comfortable and I'm playing, you know, these sometimes big shows and, you know, so it's, it's been a real progression from being a drummer through, you know, being somewhat in the shadows and Rusty Mm -hmm. Bell into now like doing this. Um, I never thought I would, that, you know, it was never my intention to do that, yeah. but it seemed like that was the, that was, yeah. it was like just following what was going on. I know the sun went down on our night. 
Better step to the side There are very few people like Ray LaMontagne who've managed to achieve a level of success while still you would not recognize them walking down the street. And right. if you're the John Entwistle, right. you're not, you could still be anonymous in a lot of parts of the world. Right. If you're Roger Daltrey, you couldn't. Right. You know, and once you decide to be the front person, this um, kid I tutor up at, up at, up at NMH, she grew up in, in West Springfield. And this, this girl who was her friend, who she grew up with, I guess they're still friends, but she got on The Voice and won and is now touring with Kelly Clarkson. Right. And it's like, well, whether you wanted it or not, you know, look at her. It's, you know, she probably right. has a million followers. Right. Like it or not, that's your life until you decide. If you want to disappear for five years, maybe you could. But you'd yeah. still be the subject of paparazzi and of it's a slippery slope. And then you're, yeah. I, that's was is a big fear of mine. Like I've wanted attention, but I would hate to not be able to walk down the street. Yeah, I think the chances of that happening very slim. Right? Isn't um, it crazy that this kid? I know. Yeah. yeah, yeah. I think. I mean, that's the definitely the this real negative side of yeah of the yeah. of success. Yeah. But there are in between levels where you know I have friends who are comedians or people who can get you know it's kind of the edge of too much. Right. But friends of theirs, right. Know, they can't go like, out. I, I play with uh, Chris Smither yeah. a lot. And to me, he's got, he's got it knocked. Like he's, um, he'll play rooms anywhere from, you know, a hundred people to a thousand people, depending on what's going on. Um, makes an excellent living. And, he can, he's famous, but not so famous that he can't walk around everywhere and be fine. Occasionally we'll be at like the gas station and someone will want a picture or something with him, but it's not. Does the living come from live performance almost solely or is it licensing or is it, what do you think? For him? I yeah. don't know. I mean, nowadays it's a mm. lot from live shows, but he also has a bunch of songs that other people have right. Um, you know, Bonnie Raitt and yeah. Di Diana Krall and all these people. So I think he, probably he gets quite a bit of money right. from royalties and things like that, which is, that's like the dream for everybody is to, you know. Um, yeah, but he's, you know, that would, that's such a great level to be at with this because you get to go, whatever attention that you might want, you get because... There's hundreds of people every night telling you how great you are. And then, but in general, they're not really bothering you when you don't want to be bothered. Mm -hmm. um, and you make enough money to have a comfortable life and hopefully do some good in the world. Uh, I mean, that's like, yeah, that's like, it's like the magic 
window right there. That's that's where you want to be. And if you sort of miss it either way, it's, you know, yeah. you got to find that Yeah, people that don't spot. think about missing high being a burden, I think, right. that much, though, until, <laughs> right. until it happens. And then there's yeah. some people who clearly are miserable with it. Yeah, yeah. you know. Yeah. But, yeah, it's a real, it's a funny thing to, to think about that. I mean, I think that would be, at this point, I'm getting, so I like, really am enjoying the, the solo. Yeah, being, yeah, I mean... When you performed it at our live show, you seemed to be really happy and comfortable. Yeah, it's like I, <laughs> yeah, I, I figured it out. I f- you know, I've, I've figured out a lot of it is really figuring out um, who you are as a performer, more so than in a band, because in the band, you got to figure out what the band is, and you're just a part of that. Mm-hmm. Uh, as a, you know, a solo, it's your name on the thing and it's your image all over the place it's you know you kind of have to figure out well who am i as a it's almost like being an amplified version of yourself Mm -hmm. because you're on stage Mm -hmm. you know you got to be a little bit more that's what uh you know ansel Mm -hmm. that's what ansel was was he used to be a a, a spoken word person and did a lot of that and oh yeah you know him from you saw him at the show too. yeah i know and you know from the bar and from town but even for that show, I couldn't get him to tell friends about the damn show. And I know these people who've never seen him do what he do and heard vague things about him being a slam poet right. when he was younger. Um, and if I were him, I would really like, I do this once every few years now, come out. And, right. and when we talked, I asked him, why didn't you do that? And he's like, because it's the amplified version of myself. Huh. Doing it in front of friends feels... You'd have to listen to the episode. I don't want to paraphrase him yeah. wrong, but it feels fake. Yeah, I know. But that in feeling, front of yeah. strangers, doing the amplified version of myself is just this thing that they've never experienced. They're not right. like, this is fake Ansel. Right. And so, yeah. But you don't feel like... He doesn't either. I think to right. two friends, it wouldn't feel that way, but doing it for friends right. feels that way. Right? Yeah. I don't... I mean, you know, if I do a hometown show or something... You're tell people. Yeah. yeah, I don't... I've gotten pretty good at reading the room and yeah you know just yeah i guess it's slightly different because he's doing also a fictionalized version of himself right so i guess right. he just isn't comfortable he, i said yeah. next time if we ever do it again can i not tell you and and you not know they're in the house oh right so <laughs> he said just, yeah that's okay you that's probably better yeah <laughs> keep, keep keep the house real dark <laughs> and, and then we'll get his friends to come see him uh, anybody know who john fahey is anyone listen to that guy couple yeah he was a very eccentric guy from um, the 60s who played uh, very odd guitar <laughs> and uh, he's a hero of mine so this is a more or less an arrangement he wrote except for the second half uh, which I just make up as I go along it's called uh, Poor Boys Long Away From Home
and it seems you're talking about having just imagined this album as a, as a as a as a whole as an image. Makes me want to ask you about uh, my wife Anya Schutz. Uh, shot did a bunch several photo shoots with you for the show, right? A few, mm. and on her own went off, and you had this. The, there was the one overriding thing that is you wanted pink. Yeah. Yeah. How did that, do you, do you know how that relates to all of that or why you wanted pink in the shots? They're beautiful. They are. Mm. She did a wonderful job. Yeah, so she did, uh, just to say, she did the album art and she did a, a photo for every song. Right. So every song is kind of paired with an image, uh, which is, the, that was the idea. Is like, you know, people do videos a lot and I, those are all right, but it's, there's a little more mystery in just a, a still image mm -hmm. with, with the movement of a song. So I thought that would be a cool thing. How are they presented? Uh, yeah. Is there a way that they're... Well, I, I bring them to the, all the shows, too, so people can get them. So when they buy the record, they can buy them. The photos? Uh, yeah. Oh. So that's cool. And I think if they're not up on the... I want to present them somehow. Mm -hmm. I don't know if I've, I might have not done it yet, um, but I want them that you can listen to the record. My dream of it was to have like a little flash drive that you could put in. I know, and you have talked yeah, about yeah. this, yeah. And have this whole experience with yeah. the record, but it just wasn't, wasn't really doable. So I want to try to find a way where I could just present them either on the website or something where you can when you click on, you know, the track that yeah, you can that's the image. Yeah. yeah. Um, so, yeah, and the, as far as the pink. Yeah, there's some connection to this idea of aging and getting wiser, you hope, and... I think so. It connects to pink. I... It was just a... Ani and I were just sitting around chatting about the thing, and that's... I don't know if she asked me, like, what colors I had in my head or if it just came out, but... It was a real intuitive kind of thing. And I was just like, I want to, like, let's go pink on this one. And which is unusual for a, you know, a male singer-songwriter. I mean, there's yeah. so much of this, like, tough guy, cowboy, stoic flannel wear. And, yeah, it's very gendered. Uh, it's very poppy. Yeah. It's very, yeah. yeah. Um, and I think some of it was, you know, just probably informed by uh, the tremendous like rise of women that's going on right now and thinking about myself and you know I'm you know I, I basically hit the jackpot as far as uh, where you could end up as like a, a white dude you know middle class it's like that's I got nothing to complain about. Um, and thing, you know, but becoming aware of that, mm -hmm. that sort of, uh, I guess privilege is a way to put it, but I, that word always seems odd to me, but, um, and there's something about, you know, I wouldn't say it's like an homage. Mm -hmm. That's like the wrong word. That's mm -hmm. probably a shitty word for it. But to me, it's just like a nod in that direction. Yeah. And it's also, it was uncomfortable for me um, because, you know, like the album cover is me just looking like I look. 
with flowers in my hands yeah. and surrounded by pink and yeah. it's you know there's and when I showed it to people, I was like, what do you think of this? It's like the album cover. It was like 50-50. Some people were like, it's amazing, you know. And some people were like, I don't like it. No. It's, and I think it's because it made them uncomfortable, mm -hmm. too, because it's just odd. And, yeah. And I could see it yeah. being a challenge for a publicist because you're supposed they want to sell you as a thing that fits a niche. Right. <clears throat> so... Uh, I like that because the yeah. whole record made me uncomfortable because just of how I, it was a real push for me vocally and writing and guitar wise, everything about it was uncomfortable. And that was really what I set out to do was uh, make something that feels good, but uncomfortable <laughs> mm -hmm. because mm -hmm. that's how you keep, that's, that's, that's how you keep going. So you know, I was like thinking, well, shit, this is, you know, I don't know if it's this, I like this, this photograph and this sort of pink theme. And I don't know if like, who knows if the music business is yeah. going to like it, but that doesn't really matter to me because they haven't really liked anything that I've done yeah. so far. I mean, it's not that they've Disliked shunned that. it, yeah. but so part of the <laughs> being, you know, unsuccessful there is a lot of freedom that comes with that mm -hmm. because you know who gives a shit if they you know so that was cool but also uh i didn't know if like you know those fans that i've been lucky enough to get so far if this is just going to be yeah, too yeah. too outside the you know so i i just felt like it was perfect because it made me been after the great yeah, yeah. I yep. mean, also, in terms of getting press or getting reviews, it's more, it's an interesting. Uh, yeah, you know, I think it's interesting, interesting, but you can, yeah, so it's been great. There's um, the, I think that's one of the big issues in the music business right now is everything is so genre and homogenous and you find what works in your your little world and mm -hmm. you do it and, um so to do you know do something where the artwork is different you know like all my it's awesome to look at the uh like when you book a gig at a venue mm -hmm. you know like say i'm playing club passim or something and you go to the calendar and they have those little thumbnails yeah because it's always like these tones or like it, it, they all look and then Anya took all these press shots and those are all pink too. So then it's like me, it's like this bright pink blotch mm -hmm. over there. <laughs> it's, and it's just like, what the hell is that? It's so odd. Yeah. So it's, uh, yeah, I think it's been cool. It was the best, it was the, the right decision. Excellent. Yeah. You know, She's for sure. Enjoyed doing it. And they're, they're just great. It's good work. So no matter what, what color we did, it's like, you know, that's kind of whatever, but the, you know, the, the actual photographs are really good. So if, if we had taken shitty photographs that were pink, <laughs> it wouldn't have worked. You know what I mean? So yeah. it's like, that's kind of the main, the main thing, I think. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, it's been, it's been, uh, I like playing with that stuff. And as I get older, it's better. It's like, I want to, 
get on stage and <clears throat> maybe sometimes I like have my flannel and my jeans, like, mm -hmm. but maybe sometimes I like, you know, like I used to wear a back in my college days, I think all of junior year, I found this big flowery like hippie skirt mm -hmm. that I was wearing everywhere because it was like spring and it felt amazing. Yeah. You know, I don't know if you've ever worn a skirt. I, I really haven't. Oh man. It was a big long. I mean, I've put on someone's skirt yeah. maybe, but not out. Yeah. And you know, in the, the safety of a liberal arts, arts yes. college bubble, you can do whatever you want. And I was just wearing it everywhere because it, I was like, I'm never wearing pants again. Skirts. Are the but way to go. So you, you, but you. I, I went back. Well, you know. <laughs> I, but I'll tell you what. I mean, I wore it to performances. Yeah. I wore it everywhere. Even, yeah. and, you know, teachers were kind of like, yeah. you got to ease up on the skirt. But I remember driving. What? Like, what, what do you mean? Well, for, like, I'd wear it to, like, recitals. And... Uh -huh. <laughs> Yo, you can't stand out in a, gr in a group you don't want to be. Yeah, but, I, I mean, they're, like, jazz yeah. recitals. Yeah. So, you know, whatever. But. I remember it. it's the only time in my life that's ever happened to me. It was I was driving home to New Hampshire from uh, Skidmore, so I was going through uh, Woodstock, Vermont. Woodstock, mm -hmm. Vermont. Okay. Yeah, nice little town. And I stopped for lunch, and uh, I had just let's see. So I was probably 20, 20 21 or something. Mm -hmm. So I had just grown my beard out, totally buzzed my head. So I had like a little bit of like a skinhead thing mm -hmm. going on, uh, but I was wearing this long flowy hippie skirt mm -hmm. uh, and I pulled over for lunch and I was like reading my book and I'm just, it, it occurred to me, I was like, man, I'm looking pretty weird these days. Like I wonder, and the waitress who's like a little bit older, like after she took my order and stuff, made a point to come over and sit down and say like, I never do this, but I just have to tell you, you're the most gorgeous man I've ever seen. And I said, wow, thanks so much. Like I was feeling a little uptight wow. about it. And she said, you know, I don't want anything to happen. I just wanted to let you know. And it's the only time it's ever happened to me in my life. And I was like, all right, maybe this, there's something to this thing. <laughs> so I definitely rocked the skirt for a little while after I'll that. I'll bet you did, yeah. yeah. <laughs> that was that was all the positive reinforcement I needed, but I was thinking about it the other day because, you know, like what you were saying, there's such a masculine thing if you're a man in, especially like the Americana mm -hmm. world, you know. Yeah, yeah, like the guy who's singing Ninety Nine Ways, you don't expect to be in a skirt. Right. Yeah. Right. That's right. But this, you know, you get your or in pink. Right, and you look, but look at all the people who are at the top of the, the heap as you know, success wise. Mm -hmm. You know, like look at I don't know, like the Lumineers or something. Mm -hmm. It's all like suspenders and <laughs> cool hats, and yeah, that's like the thing, man. Yeah. You know, so and if you're not that, maybe you're a little bit more on the rugged side. So you got like the like slightly tighter jeans and the big boots and the, you know, either the suit coat kind of thing. Mm -hmm. Like, you know, all three or four looks the, that the, the, the tropes. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Right. So you get those four things and then say you don't want to do that and say I showed up in like a moo or yeah. something and I sing the way that I sing. That's either really good because who the hell is going to forget that mm -hmm. weird guy that showed up in the moo or 
no one will take any of the music seriously because yeah. you're the guy that showed up in the Moo Moo. Yeah, you know. Yeah, but the, the, the artists I feel like that I most love take those risks either yeah. visually or in some way. You know. Mm-hmm. You know, and, and take someone like Beck who has success and just keeps switching it up with every record. Every time. Well, at yeah. this point, you know, you can't miss. But after a first huge record, he ends up, you know, a couple records later making acoustic record, and he, right. he's just like, oh, what, you know. Worst can happen is you just keep making music, I suppose. Yeah. 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 I think that's nowadays it's even, it's, yeah, it's so equally problematic to take risks with your image because so people see it all the time. Problematic to and problematic not to. Yeah. Right. It's kind of two roads that both kind of could lead to success, but, but if one of them is not really doing what you're have this great whimsical idea to do, then I feel like you're letting yourself down. Right. I feel like I better stay in my my jeans and my, and my leather my, jacket. My, my. Or your flannel. Right. Well, this is... Well, this is what I expect to see when you get on stage. Yeah. Because this is what I grew up in. Yeah. I've, I've been dressing like this for my whole life. <laughs> yeah. But there is a certain thing to... Well, it's finally, you know... It's like cool now. Yeah? Yeah. Well, I mean, I suppose <laughs> it was grunge era, too. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, but I've I've thought about it. I might try to find a nice skirt for a show. And That'd be great. See how I that goes. That. It feels great. I mean, it's just pra- yeah. practical. It's like keeps me cool because I always get mm-hmm. hot on stage, and you can really move. And I think the the outline of it is nice mm-hmm. for being on stage. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. Not a, like a short skirt, but yeah. a real big, flowing yeah. skirt. I, yeah, I've seen Matt perform in a tutu. And right. Uh, at the Shea, and it really stood out. It really worked, right? Um, but that once people, but at first it was hard. People, I'm sure, some people, especially who hadn't seen him before, weren't taking him seriously, right? But he didn't want to be. But then he did, and by the end of the show, it's like he had to earn it back, which is kind of cool. Yeah, because um, we're getting really long. I have two things I want to uh, ask you. One is just because I thought of this earlier. Would you do you ever imagine you want to just be drumming for a band someday? Just drum again, just go back and as a side project, just be a drummer. Yeah, I it mean, was your, it was your first. Yeah, I think so. I do you have a kit? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, I got all the stuff, and I teach some drum lessons still, and I still play. I'm going in the studio uh, in a couple months to play drums on a singer-songwriter record. Oh. So you so, do still play. A little bit, yeah. It's it, But, you know, I'm not, like, practicing every day right. and doing all that stuff like I was. I'm definitely really focused on the, the guitar thing. Um, but, yeah, it's there's something... It's It's... To me, it's the best instrument for... Uh, even like having been like a rhythm guitar player in a band, I haven't been a bass player in a band before, but I, I think bass is similar where you can, because it's the such a driving rhythmic force, you can change so much about the band, the way the song is going, that it's like nobody can fight with you if you're playing drums. Mm-hmm. Like you can try to do it on the guitar, but if those guys don't want to do it, they're not going to do it. If you're playing drums, yeah, 
you're you drive the this is why bands end right there you run the ship man. singer stops in the middle of the song that's how that's how you stop it right and, and they think like, what the fuck are you doing on right. the stage nobody it's like yeah. you so it's i i like that because it's it's a it gives you a certain way to listen where you're always saying what can i yeah add, what can i add to this yeah. or how can i make it better um and i miss you know i miss that that a little bit so i'd like to it's funny because my fantasy is is kind of some, the opposite, and that is to be a very basic. I played guitar in high school. I took lessons. I was never in a band, and I wasn't that good a student, but I took guitar for three years. And I'm pretty sure I could play basic bass. And I all I want to do is be in the back of a band holding it down a little bit. <laughs> yeah, and I, yeah man. Someday I'd love to, to if I ever have time, to, to learn to play a really basic. Because I feel like it's an instrument you can, you don't have to get virtuosic to do the job. On the bass? Yeah. No, not yeah. at all. Yeah. Oftentimes that makes you worse, I think. Yeah, yeah. yeah nothing worse than a, than a, yeah. a busy bass player. A busy you bass can't. player. Yeah. There are some really, you know, YouTube, you should YouTube like bass. There, there are these bass show-offs. <laughs> yeah. Oh, it's <laughs> um, horrible. And the last question is, so you say you're back. You've been back, for, you know, for what, two months now, but you've been, yeah. you've been hibernating, writing and playing. And is there, is there a next, do you know what's next? nope uh okay yeah <laughs> i can tell you what i'm working on yeah um is i'm getting really i mean i've been into the finger style guitar thing for mm -hmm. a while um so i'm learning a bunch of like instrumental finger style arrangements just really focusing in on that and i've been really uh I've been getting into flat picking a little bit, uh -huh. like the bluegrass stuff, even oh, though I don't, oh. you know, like that. Yeah. And just because I could never do it, I could never play fast any in anything. Um, so I kind of wanted to see what that was like. So I've been really hyper into that. Not that I want to be a bluegrass player, mm -hmm. but just having you just, those you just textures. just make a one-off record in between or an EP. It's more like adding those those, into songs? those textures yeah mm -hmm. to like what i do and then i'm learning um a lot of more complex harmony stuff mm -hmm. um i guess you'd call it like 20th century harmony or jazz harmony where it's because i just love the sound of that stuff and i it's so unfortunate that it's uh it's like regulated or that's not the right word but it's like pigeonholed in like mm -hmm. jazz idiom. Mm -hmm. Relegated? Relegated? Is that the word? Yeah, I'm relegated to jazz. Um, you know, like if you add a seventh or a ninth to a chord, it's like they don't do that in other kinds of music as much. You know, sometimes new. That's why it'll be great. Yeah. So, and I miss those sounds because yeah. I really like them. Yeah. Um, so I'm really getting into learning how to do them on the guitar. Um, so in the back, somewhere like way in the back of my mind, all those things are stewing up into. Well, that that's kind of like you know? the, the 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 instrumental version of what I'm saying about wanting more irony or grit or weirdness or dissonance in the lyrics is right. when someone does something you don't expect in an acoustic song musically. Right. I don't really understand what it is, but I know that that is the weirdness that I like. <laughs> yeah. That's what makes it yeah, steps yeah. it up for me to. Yeah. To something more. Um, yeah. So I'm, you know, that's tends to be, I think, how I 
work, I guess. Yeah. I mean, I'm still figuring that out because yeah. I haven't, but. And you will be for the rest of your life. Yeah. yeah. But it's, it's, I like, it's like taking the musical bits that I really, that are, that I'm into and sitting with them for a while and then, um, you know, seeing what I could make out of them rather than, you know, that's just, that seems to be the way that I, that I go. It's like I, I don't have this like shining vision out yeah. there that I'm trying to do. I, I study a bunch of things. And yeah. See what. Yeah. How I well, can I hope. Yeah. You do. Continue <laughs> to incorporate that stuff. I was just thinking that. I don't know if this is what it was, but something I miss that isn't in music anymore is, in the '70s and more in the '70s in, than anything else, was slow fades in which they try out little little. Little Steely Dan licks, little licks, little things that aren't in the song that they just mess with in the fade. Right at the end. Yeah, yeah. I love that. <laughs> no, there are no slow fades anymore, and that's, that's, bring that slow fade. That's a, I love it, that, man. Yeah, because it'd be this whole song, yeah. I know exactly what you're talking yeah. about, and then in the, just in the fade out, yeah. some weird yeah. thing will... Yeah, yeah, yeah. Thanks. Yeah, it was yeah. fun. That was totally fun. Relaxing and uh, I felt like I it was nice and rambling. Thanks, man. Thank you. All right. You can find Zach Trajano's music anywhere you get your music or at zachtrajano.com. That's Z A K T R O J A N O.com. You can find all episodes of this show anywhere you get your podcasts or at 15minutesjamieberger.com. That's the numerals 15-M-I-N-U-T-E-S-J-A-M-I-E-B-E-R-G-E-R.C-O-M. Coming up next, and we'll be doing two episodes a month this year. Uh, coming up next is Robin Hitchcock. Christian Kandari made our theme song. Ed Patnode is the engineer. This is 15 Minutes. I'm... Jamie Berger.